Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast with our Ask the Expert series, a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin and I'm the Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be exploring ethics, transparency, and trust in the blockchain arena. And joining us to lend her expertise on this is Leanne Kemp, who is the founder and CEO at Everledger. The tech company is working hard to drive ethical innovation and trading, making Leanne the perfect person to speak with on this matter. Before I bring her on, I just want to give you a little bit of background on her. So she founded Everledger to better verify the diamond industry in 2015. As well as her role at the company, Leanne sits on the boards for the Blockchain Board of Advisors managed by IBM, as well as the World Trade Board and the Blockchain Council for the World Economic Forum. She's also been awarded a number of accolades, including being named as the IBM champion. So Leanne, welcome to the podcast and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Great to be here. I'm so glad I'm connected. Definitely. And you really are the perfect person to kind of ask all these questions too. So if we kind of get started here, I think a good starting point is if you could give us an outline of the ethical and sustainability shortfalls that supply chains for luxury goods might come with. So it's a good question because you're using both the words of ethical and sustainable. And I guess if I cast my mind back to 10 years ago, most of the concerns in supply chains were really around ethical supply chains and ethics from a perspective of human rights and child labour, conflict trading zones would be probably the forefront of most supply chain concerns. But today we need to also consider the stakeholdership that exists within side of organisations and so, you know, the climate and environment and the planet. So I think some of the concerns, it can be boiled down to one word and that is a lack of visibility and a lack of transparency. If we ask the question, where does it come from? That's a very simple question is often very difficult to answer with a connected system. Everledger started in 2015 to be able to build that platform of provenance to enable that transparency to be known and connect those many different data points, the chain of custody commands across the supply chain. So at least that first question can be answered. But I would say some of the examples of the types of concerns in supply chain don't just limit themselves to human atrocity. But if you think about the luxury goods supply chain, leather as a prime example, one must also think about the types of hazardous chemicals that might be used at a tannery, land management and how those animal and the animal welfare at the farm is being catered for. So they're quite complicated supply chains that need to be brought together to enable that very simple question to be answered. There's a lot of elements you kind of spoke about there and I think it's interesting Do you think people don't necessarily take those factors into consideration when they're looking at these products? Well, of course not. I mean, we're driven by a consumerism market. Fast fashion is a prime example, or we don't necessarily consider the externality of cost. And I might be buying something cheaper, get it to me faster, the convenience of purchasing that in my local market. But at what cost has that come to those before me? And even if we think about the example of leather as a prime example, and when I was talking about the land management issues, do we ever really consider whether there's been deforestation on that land? I mean, we should really start to think about those sorts of questions. But we have a challenge because 
the labelling that exists inside of many of these types of products only really cater for the types of materials used, not the resources exploited as a part of that manufacturing process. So I'm quite sure that if a simple label was able to tell me how much cotton or polyester or wool was in the blend of my jacket, that's one thing. But the second thing would be, I wonder if I turn that label over to see how much water was used, was that manufacturing process conducted with a renewable energy source. If we were able to yield up that data, I'm quite sure people would start asking even more questions about where things come from and why are they coming from the places that they're coming from. I think you're 100% right. Give the people the information and then that opens up their mind to have a better understanding of it all. So from that perspective, then, if we look at the technology space of this and how that can really play a role in making that a reality, how can technologies, namely we talked about blockchain in the introduction, how can they alleviate the shortfalls and promote trust and transparency across these high-value supply chains then? We've always traded on single threaded relationships we know who our suppliers are but we don't necessarily know who our suppliers suppliers are or our suppliers 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 are so blockchain technology as a way can drive that connected business network across a supply chain that we can not only see the supply of those goods but actually transform it from a supply chain to a value chain and these technologies now certainly in 2015 when everledger first started They were quite embryotic. They were very young in their formation. But now we're getting into those teenage stumblings of the technology where we know that it has this nimbleness. It has some rigidity in the skeleton of the technology and we're seeing it applied in not just only the areas of supply chain traceability in the diamond industry, but well beyond that in even recognising re-commerce marketplaces where things that were maybe used once, can be used and reused and recycled and repurposed in different ways. So instead of just thinking about what am I purchasing, where does it come from, then one could also ask the question, where does it go to after it leaves me? And what part of that device that I've purchased or that item that I have in my hand has a reusable second life? which is a a very important element to kind of look at overall here. And just to take that a step further, how do these technologies encourage ethical sourcing? The encouragement of ethical sourcing can only really come about from those that have an embedded set of values and that can align on the value and the values within a supply chain to have a certain formation of the mind to say, I care for the planet is one way of thinking about this but there's also from an ethical standpoint within an industry all participants within the industry need to agree upon what is a standard set of operating values call it the moral rights of a supply chain and I think that the technology is a way to purely provide that independent connected tissue to bring together those participants in a rule set and then also bring together the types of data to be able to form up that truth mechanism and that trust mechanism. I 100% agree with you. I I think it's definitely a place that we need to get to. It's the changing the attitudes that you mentioned there. It's from our perspective, having an ethical understanding, but it's getting corporations and the supply chains to also have that understanding as well. What's the reality of changing that mindset? Are we talking purely educational? Is it showing 
damages that are being done? How's the best way to kind of be approaching this? Well, there's that old saying, we don't know what we don't know. So to a certain extent, there are thought leaders and mavericks and entrepreneurs in the world that certainly don't have all of the answers, but they have a hyper-curious mind that really those large questions lead to that innovative change that we so desperately need. So sometimes that same old way of operating has served its purpose over the last decade. But as we're starting to see the curious minds of the next generation demand better ways to be able to attribute change, not only towards the planet and the wider stakeholder view of capitalism, I think it does start from someone asking a question that has never been asked before. And then it's often interesting, particularly in the work that we're doing, and we can show the possibilities of this with technology coming together at a crisis point, then, you know, the interesting thing that comes out of most people's minds is, well, this makes so much sense. Why hasn't it happened before now? And I guess that same question we asked of ourselves when we saw the emergence of social media and platforms like Facebook, it just made sense. And so we always asked our question, well, why wasn't it something that wasn't created before today? And I guess it was because either the evolution of the technology wasn't there at a time to be able to connect those disparate systems and or potentially the challenge or the problem wasn't big enough for it to be a problem to be solved. I was going to ask, what is the general ideal when Everledger approaches a company? What kind of main pain points do you find companies coming back at you with? And what's the kind of general case studies that you're finding? So I think we built a platform of provenance to address risk within a supply chain and to enable a better formation of risk or an understanding of risk Transparency is, of course, one of those key attributes towards enabling a better way of making decisions because data becomes available. But really in the diamond industry, we were very clear and the research of that industry is being perpetuated year upon year now for the better part of a number of decades. So there are very real challenges within the space, whether it be man-made diamonds becoming now more prevalent across the supply chain and parts of those man-made diamonds are being swapped out from natural stones. We're starting to see banks pull out of the industry with a pretty significant shortfall in terms of liquidity because they haven't had an embedded trust to know that that diamond that they're financing is truly that diamond. And then, of course, consumers and millennials are making very different decisions about the types of commitments that they make with that magical question of, uh, will you marry me? So our industry is hyper-consolidated, so it was very simple to be able to effectively know which of those mainstay players were the right ones to be able to engage with. But it was also at a time where we knew there were multiple challenges within industry where the solution was embedded within provenance to enable that transparency so people could just make a better informed decision. And we're right in the middle now of probably one of the worst pandemics the world has ever seen on the backdrop of entire global set of challenges economically and, you know, to a certain extent, we have so much data that's being afforded to us, but how do we synthesize the truth of that data? And the same too plays out in supply chains. How do we get a consensus mechanism to know when misinformation is actually fake news versus when that information is actually driving critical pathway thinking? And this is where these technologies and data and artificial intelligence gives us a combination of technologies to be able to actually make 
real-time informed decisions concurrently against the backdrop of the challenges of industry and or markets. You're right. It's a very interesting time to see kind of how this is going to evolve and adapt and move forward as well. And I think another element that we, we need to touch on as well is zero waste is such an important element that we want to reach and can make a sustainable goal of that. How do you think blockchain can contribute to a circular economy? So zero waste is one of those great coined catchphrases, but the reality is there will always be waste in the world. Mm -hmm. The reality is that how do we view waste as value? Certainly we do have to reduce it, particularly as we start thinking about perishables and food waste. But if I think about supply chains that have enriched natural resources, cobalt, lithium, the three Ts is a prime example that go into our mobile phones, how do we reuse and repurpose not only that device in a second life, But how do we design for disassembly and then reuse those natural resources, maybe even in a different type of supply chain, as, for example, Dell Computing partnered with the jewellery industry and stripped back some of its metals to enable those metals to be used in the diamond and jewellery industry. So those two strange bedfellow relationships in a supply chain, one would never have imagined that an electronic supplier could actually be one of the supplies to the jewellery industry. But it's Mm. true, these types of relationships are fast-forming. The circular economy also needs to ensure that it has some formation and linking into measured outcomes when it comes to planet and environment and that circular sustainability element. And I do think that blockchain enables us to have a way upon which we can not only just trace materials, but those materials are likely to trade in a true peer-to-peer environment. So individuals will be able to trade in a direct marketplace rather than having yet again another centralised authority or another intermediary in the middle. Excellent. Okay, then. Yeah, I think that will definitely be a way to move forward. And another element I wanted to talk about is how we take these next steps and really evolve this process. So Everledger is, you know, spearheading this technology-driven initiative to get that transparency and get that sustainability that we've been talking about in this episode. But what can be said for the role of law and policymakers in this process uh, from your standpoint? So I wrote a big thought leadership article that was published by the World Economic Forum around what does the circular economy look like by 2030. And the headline of that article really reached out and said, we won't be talking about circular economy in 2030 because it will just become the way upon which we trade and how we think about resources and waste of value. It also mentioned that my belief is that there will be some governments that will act very quickly and they will identify, know and understand that the amount of waste that's being collected is actually a new form of value stream and that there will be industries that will be formed that are not just natural mining industries but also urban mining. And I will say that we saw the fast formation of that in China. About two and a bit years ago, they closed the borders to waste, and that's been a highlight and a topic that many journalists have written about, but most actually forget to put the and statement at the end of it and say and they appointed a federal minister for circular economy. So they're bright when it comes to understanding the ways upon which the world can create value. And I think that China is one of the forefront policy makers and decision makers to drive an understanding that there is actually value in waste with that federal minister and circular economy. A lot of the policy making and decisions 
will probably come about from a sense of understanding right to repair legislation. So instead of sourcing a replacement part that might be in Germany and I'm in Australia, well, why couldn't we have a right to repair here in Australia where we could bring the digital twin of that part, we could then couple that into some kind of digital rights management platform that will enable a local supplier here in Australia or in regional town centre where the last mile is literally hours in the making rather than flights, planes, trains and automobiles to get this one part delivered across the world. And I think right to repair legislation has already come in in some of the European cities, but it's yet to come into Australia. So policymakers are able to look at how can they think about circular economy as an economic transition strategy that will help to bring onshoring back into their country or even in those small regional and rural town centres where, you know, let's face it, employment in those regional town centres sometimes feels like you're on a hammock on a roller coaster. (laughs) There's no certainty around the future of jobs in those regional town centres. But with a circular economy, with strong policy and economic transition strategy, there's no reason why we can't actually have fast-forming micro-factories across countries and small to medium-sized enterprising having rights to be able to reuse, repair and reform goods. And it's all about seeing that evolution. You mentioned China there kind of taking the lead, which is fantastic because you just need that first person to take that step and hopefully we can see other countries start to follow when they see the benefits. It's not if they'll see the benefits, it's it's when they'll see the benefits. So that's very exciting to see going forward into the future. Here in Australia, we have an Australian federal national blockchain roadmap strategy now. Mm-hmm. Minister that's involved in environment is very clear about the economics around circular economy, and that also now has a 10-year strategy attached to it. And there are also other ministers that are involved in things like advanced manufacturing where they understand there's a real value in the concentric circle of overlaying environment manufacturing and then retail with consumers. And those that are really awakened to that from a policy perspective are the economies that will grow fast and will come out on top. There's a lot of big offenders in terms of countries that this needs to to look at. So are you hopeful that you're going to see them kind of take this approach and adopt it once they see the results really working? I'm not hopeful, I'm confident. Confident, excellent. So as we look to the future then, what are you hoping to see from supply chains? What's the additional goals that you're hoping to see here? So I'm talking about additional goals. I guess the goal for me is that we have supply chains understanding the transformation from supply to value chain. But when we talk about goals, it's really the global goals of the 17 that exists with the sustainable development. And if we can have supply chain enablement really plumb our way back into those conscious roadmaps around those 17 goals, then we're in a far better way when it comes to sustainability. And I think there's a lot of work still to be done, particularly in the data formation around that. But as soon as we see large groups like the Caring Group as a prime example, one of the more prominent uh, luxury goods manufacturers, they have an outstanding plan in place that lays out social and natural capital goals. And I think it's leadership like that at a corporate level that will have others following. But connecting citizens with these critical initiatives, particularly in the time now, is absolutely essential. And it's also exciting to see how that will transform the purchasing and buying patterns, which ultimately the demand 
will outstrip the supply. So if there's pressure from the demand side, then we know supply will fall into line. That sounds perfect. Leanne, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today on this podcast. So thank you for taking the time to explain this and walk us through these steps. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. It's such a critical topic that I think it's not just about the mind share, but there are so many others out there that have the same type of view of the world and it's bringing together those different skill sets at a right time to be able to really leap forward into what is largely now the decade for action and the year for change. 100% agree and I think that's a perfect point to end on. Thank you everyone for taking the time to listen to this podcast. To get more information and educate yourself around this area, please head on over to everledger.io for some great resources and information. We'll be back next week with another episode in our Ask the Expert series. Until then, you can find more Ian360 news at ian360tech.com. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.